Hey all, and welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. If you're looking for an easy to grok explanation into the lore and characters of the stories behind the game happening right now, the Magic Story Podcast is the best place to start. This season is all about our murder mystery set, Murders at Karlov Manor. Today's episode is episode four of the main story. It's called Justice Before Mercy, and it's written by Sean and McGuire. Join us as we head into the multiverse. not sing the intro music we're gonna sing we're gonna sing the intro music every time (laughs) the thing about the podcast that you have to know behind the scenes is that every single time we record this we sing we do like a little do 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 for the intros where the intro song goes for our editor to be able to find it um without fail every single time Every no, time. We don't need to. We do our own. He knows re- where it goes. We do our own little <laughs> rendition of of the intro music, and it sounds nothing like the actual intro music. It's just we no, have, we have fun with it. Uh, all right, Natalie, would you like to give us a recap of what happened last time? Yeah. So a quick recap of what's been going on in murders at Karlov Manor so far. So essentially. Tessa Karlov at Karlov Manor, her giant ostentatious estate for the Orzov Syndicate, is hosting a party, and it just so happens that Zagana, who is the former Simic Combine leader, was murdered at this party. The agency has kind of stepped in, the Agency of Magicological Investigations, in case you didn't know, has kind of stepped in to help identify who might be behind this murder, and none other than Alquist Proft. And Alquist Proft, the self-proclaimed great detective Proft, according to himself, has identified that Etrada, the Demir assassin, had actually snuck into this party. And I mean, why would you sneak into a party and then mysteriously try to run? Obviously, she must be behind the murder. So the Azorius detain her as the primary suspect. But Proft, it, Proft, like plagued by this. It doesn't quite make sense that Etrada, who was an a trained assassin, would let herself be caught so easily. And so Proft believes her in that Etrada has no memory of killing Zagana. So he frees her from the Azorius prison to help him solve the case and essentially clear her name. And Kaya, meanwhile, last episode, had gone back to Tesa's office at Karlov Manor, only to find that Tessa herself now has been murdered. We begin today's episode back with Kaya in Tessa's office after she had just been murdered and Kaya had found that Phyrexian note among the broken shards on the floor. Since the Orzov almost always come back in ghost form upon their death, Kaya tries to summon Tessa back to speak with her ghost. But instead, she just gets one of Tessa's dead servants, a woman who tells her that Our guildmaster is not receiving visitors at this time. Irritated, Kaya tries to get answers from the ghost, who only confirms that the Orzov knows Kaya is innocent of Chase's murder. But Kaya just says, tell that to the law, meaning Azorius. And there's a moment when Kaya wants to flee Ravnica, just planeswalk away from all of this. But she doesn't. Not only would that confirm Kaya as the murderer in the eyes of Ravnica, but she owed it to her friend Tessa to stay and avenge her 
to figure out whoever did this and bring them to justice. And I just want to say here that Kaya and Tessa, they are very good friends. So, I mean, imagine how you would feel if you're one of your closest friends was murdered and you would really feel that responsibility if you had it within your power to help solve the case in any way. Yeah. And just judging by the narration in this scene, the Tasa's murder has like Tasa's death has clearly kind of haunted her a little bit. Like she's she's recounting she can't get out of her head the blood on her on her friend, like like on her friend's uh cane that had been stuck through her chest like she's just reliving it over and over again it's clearly kind of traumatized her a little bit and it just goes to show how close Tessa and Kaya were like they they are really close friends and to and I just feel for Kaya I like I'm I'm with you Harless and that I feel for Kaya in this moment how the how does just the desire to flee must be really strong too like like for, like it would be difficult to face this where suddenly your really good friend maybe potentially Kaya's closest friend has just been murdered and wanting to just be away from all of it like why is she staying here um it just goes to show that Kaya is is stronger than she gives herself credit for and that she is going to try and stay and and avenge her friend here and so at the falling end of this conversation with the ghost servant that had come back and said Tasa is not receiving visitors at this time all Kaya can do is order essentially the shutdown of Karlov Manor and uh, ask all of the servants to kind of secure the premises, which they do. And so Kaya here goes to the agency to speak to Ezra. And the agency, when she walks in, is just in utter chaos. Like all of the detectives are having arguments with each other and there's just anxiety over something that had apparently happened while Kaya was at Karlov Manor. And during all of this chaos... Kaya spots Kellen in the crowd, kind of arguing with a few other detectives, and she pulls him away, recognizing that Kellen might just be the perfect detective to help her get to the bottom of this mystery. And this is when Kellen reveals to Kaya what Proft did last episode, which is free Atrada from the Azorius prisons. They finally reach Ezram's office, where Kaya says she's in on the investigation and she wants to take the lead. Ezram warns that It's more challenging now that Alquist Proft has gone a little rogue, but Kaya insists, relaying that Tessa Karlov is dead. Murdered. As Ezrin prepares to tell the Azorius this news, he gives Kaya and Kellen, now assigned to the case officially, the only potential lead they have, which is Judith. Judith, who had never checked in with the agency after the party, when every other high-ranking guild official had. So it's just a little suspicious, right, that every other guild leader, every other high-ranking guild official had checked in with the agency to essentially tell them I had nothing to do with this. But Judith didn't. Not to mention that Kaya herself had seen Judith kind of missing, right? When right before everything went down at the party with Zagana's murder, She had looked around, and where Judith had once been, there was no Judith. So there's a few things stacking against Judith right now. Yeah, it's exactly. It's very suspicious. Yeah. So with this new lead to go kind of question Judith, Kellen and Kaya set off through the agency, heading for essentially the headquarters of Rakdos. 
And as they are going through the agency, they stumble across a ghost that had entered the building. And this ghost is Agris Koss, a Boros ghost and a former investigator. And this is from the story. In the entrance chamber stood a very familiar, very dead man, darker skinned than Kaya or Kellen, with gray, short cropped hair and decorative drapes in Boros colors attached to his semi-transparent armor. All of him was semi-transparent, really, making it easy to guess why the last of the gossiping agents had cleared out of the room to let him have it. It seems that even in death, Agris is still an investigator, inquiring into this on behalf of the Boros, though he's not super thrilled about it. He says, looks like I'm haunting your house for now. He has a good sense of humor. I really like Agris. He's just he seems very like uh, pleasant to be around. Yeah. Kaya and Kellen continue onwards out the doors of the agency where Kaya says that they have to find Hellbender. Apparently, this is, and as she says, where all the cool people are spending their evenings right now. So like, this is the hot place to be on Ravnica right now. And we know that Rakdos are nothing but not cool. They're edgy. They're awesome. I mean, I love Rakdos. I think it's just like visually stunning. It's so unhinged at times <laughs> i think yeah. isn't okay that's, that's, a, that. that's a good word i think a little bit unhinged a yeah. little bit unruly at times so not for nothing they're going to the trendiest night spot in all of ravnica now also which called is hellbender so i can imagine hellbender. what this looks like yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and you know it's just funny to me to imagine two things one kaya like sassy kaya being at a nightclub like I just imagine she would be so annoyed the whole time yep and then and she'd be she's an assassin she'd be on edge like you can't hear anything over the music like usually like it would in these not places, be a comfortable situation for Kyle. everyone <laughs> is like in various states of just like you know having fun so they're just like totally in their own world not paying attention it just sounds like a, the worst place for an assassin to be but also sweet baby Kellen <laughs> at <his> nightclub. <laughs> I feel like he would either have the night of his life and he would go home with like 20 new friends right <laughs> or he would be so confused the whole time and just like I don't know about what I'm allowed to do here <laughs> yeah oh sweet baby Kellen like I like <laughs> you never know maybe maybe his his fae will have like a wild side and maybe he he would yeah. totally live it up in a nightclub <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> pure speculation brought to you by natalie and harless yes yes so to get to hellbender they have to take a carriage so the carriage driver drops them off in front of and i'll quote for you in front of a grandiose structure in plaza west too big for its neighbors and crowding them out through presence alone a lanky teen in red and black lounged on the rail beside the scalloped marble steps. A toothpick bounced between his lips as he chewed on the end. He pulled it free at their approach, twirling it between his fingers before flicking it towards the street. Sneering, he focused on Kaya. And this teen is not nice to Kaya at all, clearly mistrustful of planeswalkers, or maybe just specifically Kaya. And he pulls out a knife from his pockets, but then... Kaya immediately threatens him back and he backs down immediately and kind of just meekly allows them access to Hellbender. And he doesn't just pull the knife out of his pocket and like show it to her. No, no, no. He like puts it to her stomach, right? To yeah, really he does be like her. Yeah. Like that's a, it's an intense threat. Like, I don't want you to think he's just like, I got a knife. No, but she phases out her stomach 
And so he's unable to hurt her. And I think he's just like, okay, this is way past my my pay grade, yeah. <laughs> way past my power level. You know, this, this I feel like, uh, I don't think there's a card for this lanky teenager, but I imagine he may be a 1-1 one, one or a 2-2. Two, two, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, no match for Kaya. No match for Kaya, <laughs> the planeswalker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll read this next part from the story. It was too early for a crowd to have gathered inside Hellbender. A glance was enough to tell them that the place, while run down enough to come across as seedy, was dazzling at night. Its high ceiling strewn with hanging glass spheres that would refract and split light once the candles were set aflame. Most of them were clear, others were red, or a purple so dark it would be almost like they were throwing black light across the gathered crowd. The dance floor, now splintered in the daylight coming through the narrow windows, was wide and level enough that it was doubtless very popular with the kind of people who just wanted to cram themselves in until they could barely move, drink, and dance before the sunrise stopped them. Kaya had never been one of those people, even when she was younger and less jaded by the multiverse. Sometimes she envied them a little. What must it be like to be able to forget the world outside of your immediate needs? to have no responsibilities or obligations. The Rakdos traded in violence and in joy, and maybe they had the right idea. So that's really interesting, right? Because we're seeing Kaya be like, we're right, right? Like yep. Kaya's like, nope, this is not like, for no, me. No, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just love that about Kaya. Kaya knows what she likes. Kaya knows what she doesn't like. And Kaya knows how to say no. And I just appreciate that about her. But what's more interesting here is her envy of those who can enjoy something like this and i think that really like kaya just seemed to me kaya has so much emotional intelligence and she's really just able to like see something for what it is and see past the glamour of something but she can also step back and realize like hey some people really like this and that's okay yeah if you're they're from, not wrong for liking exactly. stuff right if you're we from can Rakdos, like different things it makes sense <laughs> like this this yeah. guild like is clearly built on foundational principles you know they are a guild of ravnica it's not wrong you know to to be no they're and their guild is based in destruction and their guild is based in kind of like this debauchery right and so of course they have a really cool nightclub that i'm not at all jealous i can't go to because i'm not like kaya i would have a great time i kind (laughs) of want to go to hellbender (laughs) (laughs) it sounds really cool i love what shannon did here and like really writing this out i feel like it gives us a really cool look into just one of those, another flavorful piece about a guild that we get because Shannon is such a good writer. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was really well described. And I'm and I'm right there in Hellbender and I'm like, ooh, interesting. And I just love that there is a scene too where Kellen is looking at this, just this elaborate bar setup. And he's clearly so nervous. Like he's so out of his element and he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, I, I don't know what this is all for. I, I, and it's just, it's like a, another really flavorful piece about this scene that I really liked because we kind of called it in that, oh, sweet baby Kellen has no idea about what, no. what this is. Yeah. And he's just happy to be along for the investigation, you yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, but he's kind of just, like, looking at this bar setup where he's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's really cute. So Kaya is is making for the stage that's on the other side of Hellbender. And from behind a curtain on this stage, Judith kind of steps forward very dramatically. And 
as usual, dressed in her extravagant black and red gown, spikes and weapons worn as a fashion statement, and she's wearing this horned headdress, making her look as striking as a moving piece of scenery. Like, I can just imagine Judith waltzing in so dramatically, and she's even doing a little evil cackle as she does it. It's just very dramatic. She's the most dramatic, right? That's a big part of her character. That's a big part of who she is. Kaya mentions it over and over when she has to deal with Judith. Just the dramatics, right? But that is part of what makes her rock dose, right? Like that is part, like she is like, no, look at me, look at me. And you never, while you're looking at her, what is she doing with her other hand kind of thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. Judith Mm -hmm. always like kind of has a trick up her sleeve. She's very dramatic. She likes to make an entrance. Um, like if you were to pick the celebrity in Ravnica whose wedding I would most want to go to, I think it might be Judith because it would be a show. It would be entertaining. Oh yeah. I think anything with Judith is a show. I think, I think waking up in the morning is entertainment and and is dramatics from Judith, right? Yeah. Well, it has to be. That's just Judith. And I think there's a quote also from the story that I really liked where, you know, where Tessa Karlov had poured all of this energy and money into her estate and everything is so immaculately done. And it's just everywhere you look is just money and, and power and wealth. Whereas Judith doesn't do it to her surroundings. The only thing that Judith spends time and energy and wealth on is herself. Herself. (laughs) Everything about Judith is over the top. But like Hellbender is like seedy and in shambles. Like, you know, it's like she doesn't care about the space. She cares about herself. So I think that says a lot about her as well. I don't know. I think that if we were going to a similar type of establishment, like the hottest club in Orzov territory, it would be completely different. It would be immaculate. It would be that those signs of wealth, those signs of power. But because this is Rockdos and their chaos and their debauchery, it's got to be seedy, right? Like, yeah. that's what yeah. they'd want. So yeah. I think, but I think you're absolutely right. Like Judith's energy is on Judith, not yes. anything else, not anybody else, just on Judith. If that spotlight is not on her, she's bored. She's over it. She wants to leave. So Judith asks Kaya why she and let me say it again. That's the weirdest pause. (laughs) So Judith asks Kaya why she and Kellen are here, where Kellen just blurts out that Ezra sent them. And Kaya briefly wonders if that is actually his fey blood forcing him to tell the truth. Because remember, we learned in Wilds of Eldraine, the fey tell the truth. They do not lie. They will bend the truth as far as they possibly can, but they will not break it. So she's not sure if it's that or whether Kellen's just nervous to be in Hellbender. I personally think it's a combination of the two. Yeah. I think he's a little out of his element and his true nature just can't hide itself. Like, yeah, one of the things I love so much about Kellen is his open honesty. And you know what? What I realized is the reason that I love Kellen so much is because we get to explore the multiverse anew through his eyes yes because we, absolutely. he's seeing it for the first time yeah and he has this childlike wonder at almost everything now he might be nervous in this bar he's not intimidated you know yeah. what i mean he's yeah. not scared he's like okay i'm here i'm along for the ride let's do this this maybe isn't my first choice of places to be and i don't exactly know what to do with my hands right now but i'm here right yep, yep. absolutely and i think 
I think this shows a lot about Kellen's character, too, is like he's nervous in this situation. I mean, Judith just walked out. Judith, you know, who is is a Rakdos Imposing, to say the least. And and he's in this seedy nightclub, you know, not sure what to do with himself. So it's like, what do I do? Tell the truth. And so it's just it's kind of his (laughs) instinct. But also he's still standing his ground. Right. He's still very exactly. much standing right next to Kaya and being like, OK, we're doing this. Um, well, he's gonna- like, Ezra sent me. You have to recognize Ezra's authority, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Kaya is more like, OK, kid, <laughs> that's okay. not yeah. how we do things. Yeah. I think that's I think that's definitely what's going on. It's like, OK, Kellen, calm down. Um, so regardless, like regardless of hearing that the agency is involved and that Ezra has sent has sent Kaya and Kellen here to to inquire about her innocence or guilt, she kind of airily goes on to say that she didn't kill anybody. And I'll read this part from the story. Judith's lips stretched in a long, thin smile. She waited to reply, clearly savoring the suspense. You may have your killer in Atrada. That doesn't mean you're done. Go to Vitugazi. You need to read the Guild Pact in its original form. And the tree shelters it. That will clarify things, I think. Why? began Kaya. Judith raised a hand. No, that's quite enough. You can go now. I've seen you. So confused, but knowing they've been dismissed, Kaya and Kellen back out of Hellbender with this bizarre new lead. Kaya can't help but notice Judith's expression as they leave. It is smug, like everything is going according to her plans. Okay, but what plans... Yeah, so I don't trust Judith as far as I could throw Cranko, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's... I don't believe a word she says. I think she's up to something. She is so it, up is to something. Is she behind this? Yeah, that's where my that's where my brain first goes. And, you know, I'm trying to take a page out of Prof's book, right, and be like, well, don't automatically assume the first suspect. Right. We did that accidentally with Atrada, and it was the wrong lead. The other thing about Judith, is that Judith is, just like Atrada, obvious. Yes. And I don't trust obvious. Yeah. I don't trust it. Yeah. You know? So I'm torn because I don't trust Judith at all. I definitely think she's up to something. But I also, I can't say that she's the killer because it's so obvious. It's too obvious. Like you said, it's too obvious. And, you know, whenever you're trying to solve a mystery like this, the obvious answer is n- usually not the correct one. You know, there's always going to be right. this false lead that's going to make you believe that this, and it happened with Atrada, which means I am not going to automatically assume that. But Judith is up to something. Why else would she be just smug? That's like, oh yeah, go over to Vitugazi and read the Guild Pack. W- why? And, and I, I was Also, Kaya. does anyone at all envision Judith just reading casually <laughs> i know <don't. laughs> i feel like judith would either either she would give a dramatic reading or she would like literally call people there to be like this is the what the guild pact says and like read it verbatim or she would have someone read it for her as like an entertainment piece i i just don't imagine judith curled up with a she nice cares. book in front of a fire and some cocoa <laughs> yeah <laughs> i really don't this is i have so many questions and obviously kai and kellen do too and and we're not given all of those answers. It's obvious that there's still a lot like like not only what Judith is up to, but why 
right? Like what, what is she trying to accomplish here? If she is kind of behind these murders, what is she trying to accomplish with them? You know, like what did she have against Tessa? What did she have against Zagana? You know, like what, right. how does this all connect? I think is still, still kind of a mystery here. And, and, you know, why send a Trotta to go into the party and murder somebody? Like, there's just so many questions still that maybe, yeah. maybe Proft and a Trotta can figure out. But I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. The, I just want to clarify really fast. The reason that Judith is so obvious, is too obvious, is because the god Roctus is the god of destruction, the god of chaos, the god of, like, they basically, they have this guild pact to satiate Roctos into basically not filling the streets with blood and chaos and pure terror. And so it's like, I don't know, it's just literally like saying the bad guy did it. Well, okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, but why? Right? Like, you can't just say like, oh, this person, this person likes destruction. They must be behind this particular destruction. Right. We really don't have anything too solid. easy. It's too easy. It's too easy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Well, y'all, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, y'all, our murder mystery continues in our next episode coming to you right around the corner. Remember, we're releasing the full audio narrations just before we drop our recap. So go check those out. And also, if you could leave us a review, we'd love that. We read all of your reviews. They seriously make our day. We appreciate y'all so much for listening. As always, you can read the full story for yourself at mtgstory.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and we will see you in our next episode. Until then, have, have a magical, magical day. day.